Rainmaker FM. You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, the place to be for digital entrepreneurs. DCI features an in-depth, ongoing instructional academy, plus a live education and networking summit, where entrepreneurs from across the globe meet in person. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm slash digitalcommerce. That's rainmaker.fm slash digitalcommerce. Welcome to The Digital Entrepreneur. I'm Sean Jackson. And I'm Jessica Frick. And I am really excited to ask you, Sean, this week's question. Mm, what is it, Jess? <laughs> now, for those well, who don't know, we always end our show with a question for the week. And so now Jessica and I are going to debate it. So Jess, what was the question that we left everyone hanging with last week? Well, last week we talked about social media accounts and got to hear how wrong you are. But <laughs> this week we get to hear how wrong you are where it relates to email. Mm. Is email a time saver or a time suck? It is a time suck, okay? You're insane. <laughs> I'm telling you now, it is a giant time suck. Let me give you, and maybe it's our generation too. You know, that's the one thing about email. You know, when it comes to people of a certain age, <clears throat> um, Email is our default thing, communication system. For my daughter, literally her email app on her phone is in a folder called old people stuff. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> so I would definitely say Whoa. that email, whether it's a time saver or time suck, greatly depends upon your age. Because if you're too young, you don't really care about email. It's for password retrieval purpose. Oh but, my gosh. <laughs> but let me tell you why I think email is a time suck. Okay. All right. I don't think people e use email properly. That's why it's a time suck. I think that too many times people are so addicted to their mobile device, to their desktop device, that they'll have multiple tabs open, but there will always be that tab to their email program, and it'll have a little alert on there telling you how many unread messages you have, right? Or it'll be you get on your phone, and there's that little icon with that little red circle that says you have 55,000 unread messages. <laughs> and I think what it does is that it is a time suck because of the way we use it. It is constantly drawing our attention to it. For example, if you go on vacation, which I know you never do, but if you ever went on a vacation, <laughs> what you would find is that what is a real vacation? Because if you're checking email, is that really a vacation? No. It can be if you enjoy it. No. So it is a complete time suck because people don't use email correctly. What do you say? Well, I say that I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. Oh, well, give me the counterpoint. <laughs> That's the whole point of this. Give me the counterpoint. Counterpoint is, well, yes, I will acquiesce that some people do use email wrong. Um, for example, us, we're in a virtual workspace. Can you imagine if every time we needed to talk about something, we had to actually talk about it over the phone or in person? Well, no, we use Slack for all of it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Slack or email, because email is for long form stuff. If we have to, you know, get somebody to sign off on something or strategize something where it's not in a chat room. Um, I feel that email is better for addressing specific things without the nuances and distraction of that immediate feedback loop. 
Yeah, but here's the thing. You spend so much time on email going back and forth when picking up the phone could solve about 20 hours of back and forth dialogue on on an email message. I mean, to me, that's where I get so adamant about email is that not only do we not use it right, but then we go back and forth and things can be misconstrued, right? I mean, your your tone in there. God forbid you put all caps in something, right? I mean, so to me, email can be just an incredible waste of an entire day, especially if you let it pile up and then you're having to go through and go through and the anxiousness that comes from that. So I would disagree with you. I don't think there's any time savings per se. I think there are certain times when it is appropriate, but picking up the phone and talking to someone is in many ways a faster form of communication than going back and forth on email. What say you? Well, speaking of old people stuff, how many people do we work with who forget what you guys just talked about yesterday? Yeah, good point. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back to the email and say, actually, we talked about this on February 22nd, 2015. Yeah, I know. Next to the send feature on email, it's the search feature I use the most. Exactly. (laughs) How How much time do you save with that? Email is more than just that, you know, one-to-one. It's also a group situation. How many times have you been on a conference call that could have been solved with an email? Uh, you know, if we talked more on the phone, then I wouldn't have, then I would agree with you. But I, <laughs> I think we've become overly reliant upon it because I think there is a value in picking up the phone and talking to people. I think there's a value in putting together a webinar, let's say, where people can have a voice and talk. I think it has more value to look at other alternatives only because I, again, will push back on this saying, I think people use email incorrectly. Okay. I think I would agree with you on that part. Yeah. Yeah, And here's why. I think we leave it always on. So I literally, literally just before the show was uh, using the restroom uh, and and the and standing. Yeah, I know. I know. Get really personal, folks. Cover your ears, folks. And I was sitting there and the guy in the urinal next to me was uh, checking his phone and he was coming in and he was checking his phone and. And he was going on and et cetera. And he was reading through all these emails, et cetera. And because I know the guy, I mean, I wasn't just talking to a stranger. I said, <laughs> look, you know, I, you know, uh, email is so um, that permeates our business life. So what I have done, and I would highly recommend everyone think about this on my mobile devices, I turned automatic email off which means I have like, to go- Like when it refreshes? Yeah, I have to go get the email. I don't let okay. it just sit there and come to my phone automatically so that every time I pick up my phone, I see this little red circle with 20,000 things that I haven't done. The reason I do that is because it goes to the greater point about email and most communication in general, is that given the tremendous amounts of ways that we do communicate, blocking off time is, I think, the best way to manage all forms of communication. And having it always on can be and is a huge distraction to productivity. But turning your email auto-fetch to manual means that when you're ready to check your email, then you are in the right mindset. Otherwise, you just ignore it. And I will tell you, doing that, Jess, has saved my weekends with my family. I'm dead serious. Because when I pick up my phone, I'm not like, oh my gosh, there's an email I have to respond to. No. I have certain times when I work, there are certain times I spend with my family, and turning off email autofetch and making it a manual process allows me to control the way that I spend my time in communication. What say you? 
Well, I like the idea of block scheduling. I've never been able to make it stick because so much of what I do is fluid. Somebody might need to get in touch with me right now, and it can't wait eight hours until my next email block. Mm. But, um, you know, like our colleague Matt, he uh, handles a lot of our server operations, and he has a tremendous workload on any given day. If he always makes himself available, he gets distracted right. and isn't able to accomplish the huge feats that he does on a regular basis. Yeah, that's true. So he needs to have that focus. But at the same time, I can't imagine how he'd survive if he had too many group phone calls. The best yeah. way to get him is email. Yeah. And I will say this, that there is a time and place for it. And I think it's up to you who's listening to this to really think about your communication plan, how you interact with the communication streams that you have coming at you and really think about it for a second, because maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Maybe it is not a time suck. Okay. Maybe it is. <laughs> there is no maybe. But no, there is. There is. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But again, by controlling your communication stream, you may find yourself to be more productive. Certainly there are times when, you know, you're, you're sitting around waiting for that one email communication to come in. But I think that, you know what, if it's that damn urgent, pick up the damn phone and talk to somebody. <laughs> Jess, I'll let you end our argument with your point. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us at digits, <laughs> digits at rainmaker.fm. That's our email address. Wow, that was a heck of a plug and way to go, Jess. And we'll be right back after this short break. The Digital Entrepreneur is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical goods, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress right now. That's rainmaker.fm forward slash StudioPress. Welcome back from the break, everyone. I'm Sean Jackson and joined with by Jessica Frick. And Jessica, for this particular segment, I want to talk about focus points for 2017. Some ideas for you to focus on for your online business. So Jess, I'm going to go ahead and let you give your top three focus areas that you think our audience should be looking at for 2017. Well, my first one is going to be live video. Mm. Now, what yeah. do you mean by that? What do you mean by now, live video? I feel like more and more brands are getting into the live video business. Even those that you'd be like, well, what could you possibly do a video about? But they're all in there and they're using Facebook Live or YouTube. Um, I feel that that medium has become a very strong way to reach your audience and people love it. Yeah. So let me push back on that for a second. So let's say I sell a digital good, okay, an ebook, a software, a membership system, et cetera. Let's say I'm not selling a physical product, which tends to lend itself to a video format. What type of live video ideas should someone in the digital good space be thinking about? I think it depends on the product or service, but people can talk to you. Um, you might be discussing one of the areas of your expertise mm. or, you know what, maybe you're just walking around a downtown area and you, you know, that looks really cool and you just wanted to hang out with your friends and talk about this new book you're selling. 
Yeah, you know, here's here's a couple ideas. Whiteboards, obviously, you know, uh, certainly over yeah. at Moz, they do Whiteboard Friday, um, you know, and I think certainly webinars fall into that space. But, you know, whiteboards, a constant stream of just very simplistic style uh, video uh, com- uh, composition where great audio using your phone, um, certainly um, talking to customers. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there may be customers of yours in your local town just getting together and talking through their issues. I think when it comes to the digital goods space, you have to be a little bit more creative with video, but at the same time, you don't are you don't have to feel like you're limited either because you can talk about bigger ideas using video. That dovetails with my next thing is 360 video mm. and imagery. Yeah. Are you seeing so many people are using that like the it goes virtual reality, augmented reality, that kind of immersive experience is becoming more and more popular. And I feel like a lot of brands can leverage that to help them. Um, for a digital entrepreneur, giving them an immersive experience inside, you know, it could even be your office. I know that sounds so stupid, but I would totally look at that. Not only would I look at that, but I'd be zooming in on your desk. and <laughs> Right. Given a little bit more appealing to the lifestyle aspect of what you sell, right? You know, yeah. and certainly because I mean, certainly there's some people who really promote the freedom lifestyle. You have freedom to be anywhere, right? Well, reinforce that, you know. Yeah, you're hanging out on the beach. Like, so, Right, exactly. Doing your work. Yeah, because you're hanging on the beach doing your work. So again, sharing information around there and certainly with augmented reality and virtual reality and some of the other things that are in the pipe and coming down further, I think it really comes down to content creativity, right? What is a piece of content that is visual that can be associated with both your brand and your product to reinforce it, right? So, and then through that, give them something that is a little bit different. And, you know, again, you know, a lot of people are doing gaming right now. I mean, the YouTube channels that are coming up where people are touring houses, you know, certainly if you're in the real estate segment, man, you've got to be thinking, what is some of the ways that I can really get above the noise and augmented and video uh, virtual reality are methods for doing that, especially where there's a physical aspect to what you provide online. Completely agree. What's your third one? The third one, and you know, you and I talked a little bit about all of these earlier, but I'm going to make a last second decision and change my third one. I think physical mail is going to come back. Yes, 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 yes. Tell me why you think that. Not, you know, if you, even if you run a digital business, nobody's using actual mail anymore except for the phone companies and the utility companies. Yeah. How much do you love getting stuff in the mail? I give Amazon all kinds of money just to send me cool stuff. I know. But- Postcards. You know, I can remember being young and my mom started getting these weird random postcards from some dude that she didn't know. Um, But they were all these like rural places with these photos of cool farms Mm -hmm. and she couldn't figure it out. Anyway, cut to the chase. The last postcard in the series turns out this guy actually worked for a new popcorn company Mm. and they were selling popcorn. So she's getting all these random postcards. I want to say there were four or five before he revealed himself but you you can bet your bottom dollar that she bought that popcorn yeah. all the time yeah and i'm going to that you're absolutely 100 percent spot on i was thinking about including that actually so you jumped me on that one that's fine so because i actually no i did i actually had you took my idea i'm looking at i'm writing i'm, I'm tapping the desk right now you took my idea but let me explain oh, why folks here's why because i think when you start to look at all that data that you're getting in on both your visitors and your customers and we talked in the last episode about clearbit api which i particularly like you're starting to get a 
lot of data about these people, reaching out to them with something like, I don't know, a sticker. Okay. Ooh, yes. People Just love some stickers. stickers, a sticker for their laptop. You know, one of the things I have on my laptop is I have a laptop cover that's really cool. So every time I pull up my laptop, people look at my computer and go, oh my gosh, where did you get that, that covering, that wrap that you put on the front? So it doesn't have to be very expensive, but what about that social acknowledgement that you could generate with a, a sticker of some sort, just sending it out to people whom you've been able to identify on your site, either in, by them filling in a form or you're just coming up and you know being smart about it and saying, oh, I realize this who this person is, looking at data sources and sending them something inexpensive to build social currency for your online brand. I will tell you, you send a sticker or a wrap or something like that. People will be tweeting about it. They'll be showing you. I mean, it really is something so easy. But it requires you to think outside of the Twitterverse. <laughs> you yes, know? and you're engaging another sense altogether, that tactile That's sensory right. experience. I'm touching the same sticker you touched. There's a human connection going on here. Yeah, that's right. And it doesn't have to be expensive, folks. All right, so Jess, you stole my idea. So I'm, I'm down to two. Sorry. I had three. What are, what are your two? God, wow. <laughs> Man, I'm never going to do a pre-call with you. Man, forget that. Sorry. All right. <laughs> So here's my the big focus I think people should be thinking about for 2017. And it's going to go into the mobile space. I know, mobile, mobile, mobile. But here's why. We have really transcended, I think, past the mobile responsive age to the mobile first age. And let me explain that. I think as content creators, we spend all of our time in a desktop style environment. It's conducive to the way that we operate. So we have, I think, a natural bias to the desktop experience, knowing that in certain categories, especially in the consumer side and even in the B2B side, people are consuming information more and more on a mobile device. In the consumer side, it's over 50%. It's looking at 60, 70. Heck, even on LinkedIn, a business social media network, most of the content consumption is on a mobile device because executives are reading and learning and listening uh, to these things as they are in transit. And so where I would say that a mobile-first design means that you look at your site purely from the mobile experience first, that if you go into some uh, tool like Chrome, for instance, the Chrome web browser, they have developer tools in there that will allow you to see your site in a mobile environment and start thinking about what are the features that are on my site that are not applicable to the mobile experience. I'm talking about forms on your site. I'm talking about content on your site, video. I mean, I just went to a site that was on Shark Tank. So I was watching Shark Tank. And I went to their site on my mobile device, which is probably how a majority of people watching Shark Tank are going to look at these companies in there. And I looked at their homepage and I was so disappointed because you could tell that it was trying to be responsive, but it just didn't work. And all of that traffic flooding to them and your first experience is, this, the text looks weird. It doesn't you know, respond properly. I'm not saying it wasn't responsive. It didn't respond properly because they didn't look at it from the mobile first viewpoint because the people who built the website were sitting at the desktop. So I would say that looking at a site, number one is the current focus. The second big focus area for 2017 goes in line with that, which is really about text messaging. Now, mm. 
This is something that, again, I have been on a rant for the past two years as I've been really thinking about a mobile first world. Certainly video is a big part of content consumption in the mobile world. No question about it. If you have children, you know exactly what I mean. But on top of that, text messaging. You know, we went through the app phase where in-app notifications and, you know, popping things to your phone and everybody got annoyed with that because every app wanted to send you a push notification. But text messaging still outperforms push notification. It has more people using text, more people who are seeing it than because really, unless you unsubscribe, you're going to see the text. And then I would also say that when people are viewing your site and there's a call to action where you want them to fill in something about themselves, the default of your name and email is laborious and tedious on a mobile device versus just putting in your 10 digit phone number from the United States. Right. So think about those forms, those calls to actions you have on your site and find a way to intelligently say if you're on the desktop, putting in your name and email is not a big deal. But if it's a mobile, it better transfer over to a text input and a real input so that the keyboard even goes to numbers, not letters. Right. So that they can easily put in their telephone number and again, access or consume or get a part of your subscription. Does it cost a little more? Yes. But I want to tell you folks, email cost, email, everybody thinks email is free. It's not. You pay something for email management over time. Text messaging is no different. You know, Sean, I remember when you first started talking to me about this a couple of years ago and I rolled my eyes and I, one of the things that's so annoying about working with you is how often this happens. I roll my eyes and I'm like, oh, Sean, bless your heart. Yeah, you, you don't get you it. You think of just the <laughs> cutest ideas that are never going to work. And here we are two years later and I'm getting text messages from certain organizations. Yeah. And I'm responding. They're like, do you want to find out if there's, you know, a meetup in your area? A for yes, B for no. And like, I'm choosing my own adventure with these people via text. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, you know, send it to if you want to send two dollars for this. And That's I'm right. doing it. Yeah. Look at the last campaign. He was right. Look at the last campaign. Candidates would have their text messaging number on the podium. I mean, that is how, because they know that they don't need people to download an app just so they can send their communication. Text is still the fastest way. I go, I went uh, shopping the other day and I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. And because I'm on Bed Bath & Beyond's uh, text messaging system, the coupons are sent to me now right to my phone. I don't have an app or anything like that. And here's the thing. Even when they expire, they give a little note that says resend. So if you're a part of the Bed Bath & Beyond and you just hit recent, they'll give you the current coupon. <laughs> what? I didn't know that. Yes, I know. I was totally, because I, I, you tried to use the coupon it expired. So I went to the text message and just said recent and it came back. That's oh where my I, th- gosh. I know. And that's where I think, again, smart online entrepreneurs are thinking about what are we doing today? How are people working today? And what will carry me through to the next several years? And then I'm going to end, and I'll put my third one in. Since you copted one of mine, I'm going to come in. Um, I'm going to take your original idea, <laughs> which is uh, online ads, okay? Yes. Now, here's where I think we're kind of moving to. Um, I think if you really look at native advertising, which is essentially paid hmm. content, right? I really think focusing in 2017 on native advertising, using the content networks out there, Google, et cetera, where you can really be intelligent about tagging people as they come to your site, using remarketing to use rich media ads to drive them to content. Primarily, in my opinion, should be video content, but regardless, it can be long form text content, doesn't matter. Remarketing and focusing on 
putting your own native advertising together. So if they visit a page about blue socks, then they're seeing the blue socks ad, not just ads for socks. If they're reading about hosting, they are coming in and you're tagging them and putting something out there for them. So being a lot more intelligent about people who come to your site, remarketing to them based on the words that are on that page so that they're given different ads based on the content they consume. So let's recap this so we can finish off this segment. Just had number one, live video to focus on. 100% agree with that one. Secondly, virtual reality, certainly figuring out how to engage people with this new and emerging media. And then third one, of course, offline, figuring out ways to use traditional mail to get to people and give them, as I pointed out, social currency, something that they can have a brand affiliation that doesn't have to cost you an arm and leg to do. Love it. And my three points were mobile first design, focusing on that site, looking at it from a mobile experience first and making sure it works perfectly for that, then the desktop. Text messaging, just being smarter about using text messaging, capturing text messaging. There's a lot of services out there. I happen to use easy texting. I find it to be fairly affordable and very intuitive and easy. And then, of course, the third aspect uh, that I was talking about, which is really about using native advertising, but being very strategic about it, looking at the per page or the categories of content that you have and using remarketing to drive people back to those calls to action that are related to the content they just read. Those are the six focus areas for 2017. I'm sure there's many more, but that's what we could come up with. (laughs) You can do it, guys. (laughs) And folks, we'll be right back after this short break. Hey, everyone. This is Sean Jackson, the host of The Digital Entrepreneur. And I want to ask you a simple question. What is your business framework for selling digital goods online? Now, if the question perplexes you, don't worry. You are not alone. Most people don't realize that the most successful digital entrepreneurs have a framework or a general process for creating and selling their digital goods in the online space. And one of the best free resources is Digital Commerce Academy. Digital Commerce Academy combines online learning with case studies and webinars created by people who make a living selling digital goods online. And the best part is that this material is free when you register. Are you interested in joining? Well, I'll make it easy for you. If you're listening to the show on your phone and are in the continental United States, I want you to send a text message to 313131 with the keyword digits, D-I-G-I-T-S. And when you send that text message, we will send you a link to the registration form right to your phone. Are you outside the United States? Don't worry. Just send us an email to digits at rainmaker.fm. Either way, we'll send you a link to the registration form so that you can sign up for free for Digital Commerce Academy. And as a special bonus, we will also subscribe you to our newsletter when you text or email us so that you can stay informed with the latest insights from the show. And don't worry, we respect your privacy and we will not share your email or phone number and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So if you want to start building or improving your framework for selling digital goods online, then please send a text to 313131 with the keyword digits or send us an email at digits at rainmaker.fm. You won't be disappointed. 
Welcome back, everyone. And for this segment, we always like to talk about sites and tools and information and things that we think are very valuable to your online experience. So, Jess, I'm going to go ahead and start off on this one. Is that all right? How about it, Sean? So, I am now found an author that I am absolutely uh, just enamored with. His name is Adam Grant. Now, Adam Grant is the new Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> That's a pretty big statement. In fact, Malcolm Gladwell says he's the new Malcolm Gladwell. Really? So Adam Grant is a professor, I believe, out of Wharton and or Chicago. I can't remember. But he's, he's, a, he's a big thinker. Um, and he has written a series of books, one, Giver and Takers, which just had true impact in my life. But there was another one, which is how I first ran into him, which is called Originals, How Nonconformist change the world, basically. And he goes through and kind of debunks a lot of the preconceptions that we have about success in general. And one of the things that he really um, uh, pointed out in there, and he uses a ton of illustrative examples, I mean, from Dean Kamen and et cetera, but what he really pointed out was where original thinkers come from and, and how they actually can do things differently. And he gave a great story, and I use this all the time. He gave a great story in this book to illustrate his point about this study that people were doing about support centers. Specifically, what were the attributes that made someone very good at customer support? Okay? And they looked at everything. They looked at education, background, demographic data, it didn't matter. They looked at all sorts of personality traits and they could not find any direct correlation between what made someone really, really good at customer support and and succeeded over the long run in customer support versus those that didn't until they looked in how people filled out their job application online. And it turned, I know. And when they researched that, here's what they found. People that used Internet Explorer and Safari generally were not very good at customer support. Huh. People who used Firefox and Chrome did exceptionally well. Now Firefox. think about I know. Now think about that. <laughs> and here is what he was pointing out. Well, is that, like, see, who still uses Internet Explorer? Exactly. Internet, Internet Explorer and Safari are the default browsers that come with your OS, right? Oh, Be, I can the def- see that. They're oh. the default ones, meaning now. Think about what you have to do to put Firefox and Chrome. First, you you have to go out there and find them, right? Then you yes. have to install them. You have to want the advantages of speed and performance and security that you feel that they bring to it versus just using what you see in front of you. And what they saw when they started dividing people up based on the type of browser they used, what they found were people that went and used Firefox and Chrome were more inclined to find solutions to people's problems outside of the little box of solutions they were given customer supports. They were willing to go above and beyond to find solutions versus people that just would deal with the status quo, which again goes back to Internet Explorer and Safari. Isn't that crazy? That is fascinating. I would have never made that connection, but you're right. You're absolutely right. I told you he's the new Gladwell, right? He totally takes something really arcade and it, it makes it. And he really expounds us through that. And he talks about uh, the Warby Parker guys who are actually students of his, one of the founders of Warby Parker. And he and he actually had a chance to invest in that company and he didn't because his oh. preconceived mindset was, you know, entrepreneurs are risk takers and they'll put everything to the win and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll risk it all on a roll of the dice. And when he met with the Warby Parker uh, founders, when they were starting out, 
they were highly risk averse, highly risk averse, and they would take small incremental steps to get towards a goal. And what he found in looking at other entrepreneurs, the people that we really think are the big entrepreneurs, what he found was they were highly risk averse. They would take small incremental steps and remove risk from the equation as they continue to build their business up. So it's this type of different type of thinking that make people what he basically prefaces original thinkers, people that are willing to go and do different things than the status quo, who are willing to take risk in measured increments, not just throw it out and hope that you know it lands on black. That was the type of thinking that he really highlighted in his book. So the name of the book is Originals by Adam Grant. I highly recommend it, especially if you're in the online space, because you're, you're probably just you know strange to begin with. You're not, you're not the status quo. You've taken a risk to go out there and leave the nine to five job to get into the online space. And I think you will find this book to really appeal to you. And I'd also say his other book, Give and Take, I would call it a Givers and Takers, but it's Give and Take. That was one of his first books. And again, Again, really a powerful author, easy to read, very insightful. So that's my tip for the week. Jess, what do you have? Well, I can kind of dovetail on that to say if you're not super risk taker e. <laughs> there we go. That was really well said, Jess. Um, you know, I, I am admittedly a little risk averse. I like to know what I'm getting into. I like certainties over uncertainties. Um probably why I would have unfortunately passed on Warby Parker too. But um, one of the ways that I help us make sure that we know what we're getting into before we get into it with actual money is using a cool tool called SEM Rush. Mm. And so I handle our ads and I don't like treating the money like so many other people in the world seem to, you know, just throw some money at it, see what sticks and then do more of that. Right. Um, I like to really research these keywords and I like to research the competitors. I like to know what's happening in the market. Um, you know, I like to know if one of the main keywords I want to go after just had a huge drop in people buying it. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things save us money. I'd rather learn from your mistakes. Right. <laughs> and you think SEM Rush is a tool that helps you do that? I do. Yeah. And, you know, I feel that by learning what our competitors do, I can compete better. Yeah. Um, I feel that we have a definite leg up on the competition because we know not only what they're doing, but what they've done. Well, it goes back to because they know what we're doing. <laughs> well, they do. They do. But at the same time, we also are always looking forward, not backward. Yeah. Um, and beyond just that, I think it's important to still pay attention to rank, even though there's always these logarithm changes and stuff like that. Um, whether you're entering a new market or just increasing your presence and one that you've been in, I feel it's important to see who's moving up in the scales there and yeah. why. Yeah. And I think you're right, because, again, a lot of a keying off of what I just talking about, you know, risk mitigation, the more that you can research, the more that you can experiment in small incremental ways and find things that work, knowing what may not be working for someone else. Right. I mean, these are important insights. And I definitely agree. I mean, there's a lot of great tools out there, folks. And just so you know, we don't get compensated for this. Like, we don't know. You know, I mean, this is, this this is, is how that we. Yeah. We buy this. We right. pay for this. We're not including a, an affiliate link here. Nah. Um, you know, and I do use other tools, 
But I have found the SEM Rush interface to be so user-friendly that I, I am completely comfortable recommending it to any digital entrepreneur who is considering entering the paid placement space. There we go. All right, so Jess, we're coming to the end of the show, and we're going to leave our audience with the question of the week. So here oh, is – I know. So I want everyone to really think about this because I've been asked this question by people from the outside looking to come into the digital entrepreneur space who are looking to maybe give up their their traditional office s job or want to experiment with the online marketing online selling of digital goods so here's the question to leave you with should you start your online business using wordpress or start with something like mediums publisher squarespace wix etc so should you go out of the box with wordpress just make the investment of time there or should you start with something a little simpler like medium and squarespace to start building an online presence so jess we're going to talk about that and like we do at the top of every show debate it profusely now, Sean, do you promise if I give my actual opinion, I'm not going to get fired since we're a WordPress host? No, but it, I, <laughs> <laughs> I just, we can't agree though, Jess. That's the key to an argument. We have I to have know, two sides. I agree. <laughs> no, but see, here's the thing, and this is going to surprise you. I'm going to tell you that I don't think you need to be on self-hosted WordPress. Ooh, well, I will leave you hanging with my response <laughs> to her proposition. On the next episode of Digital Entrepreneur. You folks have a great week now, okay? 